You're listening to What's Up Digital Lending, the podcast that explores the exciting world of digital lending. We make a deep dive into the most important issues and talk to the leading minds of the ecosystem. Welcome, everyone. My guest today in this episode number six of What's Up Digital Lending is Florian Kübler. He is a co-founder of Lend from Zurich in Switzerland. My name is Konstantin Fabricius, and I am the host of this podcast. Lend is a digital lending and investment platform active in Switzerland. Retail and institutional investors have the choice between consumer loans, corporate loans, and real estate-backed loans. It's a pleasure to have you here, Floria. Welcome. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to be on the podcast. Now pay attention, please. The content of this podcast is expressly not to be considered investment advice, but is intended solely for your information. We do not assume any liability and will not share any profits. Florian, may I ask you to introduce yourself since we have already heard a little bit about your company. Who are you? And please tell us a bit about your professional career. Uh, thanks very much for the question. So I'm Florian Kubler, co-founder of Lend.ch, marketplace lending platform here in Switzerland. I myself, I'm pretty much a credit animal. So ever since I graduated from university in an economics degree, my career was spent in investment banking. And I started it right off in fixed income markets, which is something that I uh, enjoyed and actually have a lot of interest in still. And the interesting part of my career, I think, was right at the beginning because I was a credit analyst for three years and my first assignment was to work on the case of Swiss Air. So within the first six months, I actually witnessed a default of one of the Swiss great companies that's been existing for many years right away. And I must say in these six months, I probably learned more as a credit analyst than if I would have in stable markets. I then transitioned into trading because... I realized that credit analysts work harder and earn less than traders. There's obviously up and downside in everything. So trading was a very demanding job. I, I ran then during the financial crisis. I was at UBS Investment Bank and I was responsible for the whole credit trading in Europe. So basically all corporate, so corporate credit trading, so basically all loans, bonds and credit derivatives related to any European issuers. They could be Heidelberg Cement was an interesting one, for example. So that was my sector. I ran a group of 10 traders at the time. And then the financial crisis hit and the business shifted completely. One example was the balance sheet that we had available as traders at the time was 6 billion euros. So that 6 billion euros shrunk to less than, I think, 250 million euros over the after the years in the in 2008. So that the business changed dramatically and there was a strong drive from the bank to do business that is not balance sheet related. So I then went back to Zurich and we started issuing credit linked notes. So basically credit linkage for retail investors, a very nice product. And I soon realized that if this is what we do, then maybe there's not even a reason to run it from a bank, but you can just create an independent company and transact credit risk on a marketplace lending platform. And that's where I got into it with a good, very good friend of mine. And we knew each other for already 30 years, Michel Lalif. We started the company 
and the first loan was then transacted in January 2016. And ever since I've been there privately, I'm married with two almost grown up kids, enjoying family life a lot and life here in Zurich. Okay, great. So thank you very much. Yes, you are really a financial animal, <laughs> one can say. Very much, yeah. Okay. The initial idea of founding very often has to do with tackling deficiencies in the target market. What was the reason for starting up Lend in Switzerland? I think the drive behind behind Lend was really the way banking was still being done, it hadn't really changed even after the financial crisis. And I think Credit Suisse, unfortunately, is a really good illustration of this. There still is a ton of leverage in the system. The banks don't hardly ever hold enough capital to absorb any shocks, be they credit shocks or ink shocks in their balance sheets. So what we thought we should do is let you know the parties on one side lender and on the other side the borrower interact over a platform that doesn't need any own capital and just transact directly. Because when you look at how banking works, it still hasn't changed. And it's just the pure nature of the business of banking is if you have a term or credit mismatch between the lending party and the borrowing party, you're trying to leverage that mismatch and make a profit out of it. And obviously there is an inherent risk because one, if you have a maturity mismatch that, you know, The rates may spike on the short end, and then you're not receiving enough money for the loans you have invested on the long end. And if credit risk that you've assumed to be less risky than it turns out to be, then you put yourself as a company at risk. And that's what banks basically do. Just maximize the spread between lending and borrowing. So we decided there must be a more modern way. And that way we said would be with direct interaction between lending and borrowing parties on the website so that there is no risk for us, the company, the platform, if the borrower defaults, because the lender has carries the full risk of a credit default. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. Interesting. And now what exactly is Lens business model? So there is a ver variety of products I can see. And uh, there is not only institutional or retail investors, You are a digital lender offering pretty much. So what exactly is your business model about? Yes. Yeah, so when we started in January 2016, it was purely letting borrowers transact directly with lenders over the platform. So basically what we do as Lend.ch is we have underwriting models. We check the risks of the individual borrower. We will go into more detail later about these topics. And then we show the risks on the platform for lenders who are registered on our site. These are predominantly Swiss-based lenders, but also international-based. We also touch base on those later in institutional investors and private investors. And you can build a portfolio on our website. You can decide which risks you want to take. You can, you can pick a menu, a potpourri of loans that you think are suitable to your risk and return needs. And then basically, we will do all the rest for you. So you can lean back and just enjoy the return. And we will, you can decide to invest in either personal loans, SME loans, or mortgage loans. That's predominantly our business. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. And many others. I have already mentioned it. You serve both consumers and SMEs. 
And what was the fundamental, the fundamental aspect of deciding to open the business model in favor of both groups? Because they seem to be pretty much different as regards, for instance, the risk profile. And this loads heavy much work on the platform as regards the checking of the risk profile. So why did you guys decide to go down this path? That's true. I think um, in our case, we're in Swiss-based. So Switzerland is a population out of soon to be 9 million is way smaller than, for example, Germany, France, or UK. So we had to decide whether we want to scale internationally or vertically. And we figured out that probably a vertical scale is much easier to execute. And we then ourselves so that we can cater for all the different risks as that you've just mentioned. So in addition to having people and programs skilled enough to underwrite private risk, we also then added the skill set of so that we can under, underwrite the me risk. And it's worked. Just as well, we started in 2016 with private loans and we added SMEs in 2018. So far, that the, which we'll talk later about as well, that the risk return figures look very good on both client bases. And we lately, about a year ago, added actively a mortgage business, which obviously has even better risk return parameters than the others because there is a sweet spot in the industry here in Switzerland that is unfortunately confined to Swiss investors, but that's also a reason why you get really good return for, yeah, not a lot of risk. What does a typical consumer and company seeking for financing look like? Yes, so the typical, typical consumer in, uh, on lend is not the average point of sale consumer. It's not that you need instant financing and you come to us and we will give you that instant financing. Our typical consumer borrower is someone who has actually already an outstanding loan, mostly with a bank, a traditional bank where the interest rates are very unfavorable. Um, the Swiss market has probably two or three really dominant players. And like in every market where you have two or three dominant players, what they will do is they will, they will use their power of market, their market power. So they will give you interest rates that are not very favorable. And that's where we come in. If you can show us that you as a personal borrower have a good credit history, that you can show that you've paid your installments regularly with your current provider, then we are willing to look at your risk and we can actually give you a much better rate because we do not have to, we do not have to feed our own balance sheet. Everything gets transacted with the lenders. And so that's our typical consumer. It's not, but that's typically our private borrower, right? So they would ask for 38,000 Swiss francs on average. And usually the average term of the loan is 48 months. That's the typical private borrower. When it comes to the SME borrower, obviously the sizes are a lot larger. There we typically have loan sizes of average 300,000 K. And the SMEs, yes, as a, every SME, they would use it for an investment of machinery, for expanding marketing resources whatsoever. Typically, the SME loans that we see, we do not, we do not lend to SMEs on an uncollateralized basis. So all our SME loans have either private guarantee or are backed with the mortgage. 
Okay, interesting. And uh, I have seen that you offer payment protection insurance. In the European Union, there is a heavy controversy on it. According to the new consumer credit directive, loan and insurance must be sold separately with a cooling off period of at least three days in the future. The goal is clear from my point of view. It's about destroying the product. What's the situation in Switzerland? As, as far as I can say, I believe the lending business in Switzerland is much more heavily regulated than in the EU. I think ideas or initiatives such as that every lender has to calculate the budget of the borrower and provide him from over or her of over indebtedness. That is something that's been around for quite some time. Um, and I think when it comes to PPI, which you mentioned, then in Switzerland, the PPI insurance, if you if we are selling, for example, PPI insurance to a client, then all the cost of the insurance has to be factored in the effective rate. So when you're buying the insurance, you actually know in basis points how much that insurance will cost you. And arguably, and it's a voluntary insurance, so you don't have, so we don't sell the insurance to everyone who borrows money from us. It's the choice that the consumer makes. Do I want to protect myself from a situation when I lose my job or am I unable to work that an insurance will cover my payments? And we leave that up to the consumer to decide whether they, whether they want to do it. Um, not sure how that was in Germany for now or in the EU, but yeah, we only have around half, 50% of our, or, or actually less now, around 40% of our portfolio decides to go for the insurance. If you are a teacher, for example, in Switzerland, you've been working as a teacher for many years. I personally believe there's no reason why you should take that insurance. And yes, it's a voluntary decision. So, you know, it's up to you. Yeah, to to as regards uh, the situation, especially in Germany, I can uh, summarize it like this: politics and especially consumer protection interests are really not in favor of this uh, kind of insurance, and they have tried hard to keep this kind of insurance out of the game. And now they, but not only in Germany, they play the European card and it seems as if they get out of it quite successfully. And the this uh, this kind of insurance will presumably be regulated quite hard. And yes, a cooling off period means presumably the destruction of this protection. But so this is another thing. I just wanted to learn a little bit more about the situation in Switzerland. Let's spread. Yeah. Maybe one important point to mention is if you borrow money in Switzerland, there's a cooling off period for two weeks anyway. So not only for the PPI, but also for the, con for the loan contract itself. That actually helps us as a crowd lender. That's a funny thing because... If you apply for a loan with us, we will send you the contract. You send us the contract back. We did all our underwriting. We have all the data. We put you into funding and the contract is basically dependable on the successful financing of your loan. And so we have actually two weeks time that, you know, since you've signed the contract that we will fund your contract on the website. And then once, once it's funded, usually they get funded within a day or two, then we still have 12 days to collect the funds and pay you out the money. So we actually use that cooling off period for 14 days in our favor. It's actually, it's, we think it's a very good regulation, actually. Okay. 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 Yeah. How interesting. 
that's that's the reason why we need this kind of podcast to learn more about different perspectives from other countries in the world. Okay, let's talk a little bit numbers. How many projects has Lend Finance to date? So we funded in total around 8,000 projects, which is approximately a volume of 300 million Swiss francs. Okay, and what is the total volume issued to date? So three, yeah, 300 million. That's a 300 million. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And you have merged with Lendico Switzerland in 2019. Are there any further mergers or acquisitions planned in the future? We're growing nicely organically. And since the acquisition of Lendico, we also understand better what that means for us because there's a lot of work involved digesting another company. So for now, we, we are focusing on our own growth. Always when opportunities arise, we keep, we will keep talking to other, you know, other competitors or even basically we're open always. We look at every situation, but we are definitely more aware now to know what it really means if you're taking over someone else and you wind down their business and you integrate it in your business. That was a lot of work, actually. Okay. Okay. Thank you. This was interesting to... Uh, to have these insights uh, on your business model and what's up on the borrower's side. Let's go over to the other side of your marketplace and let's learn more about the investor's uh, perspective. What does the typical retail and institutional investor look like you have on your marketplace? Yeah, so we have around 7,000 lenders, out of which a good dozen are institutionals. The typical retail lender, if you will, Colin or her that on our site has a portfolio outstanding of roughly 50,000 on average. And usually they invest into, say, 30 different loans. So the portfolio is very well diversified and it's protected against default, individual defaults, because an individual default doesn't really matter that much if you have a wide diversification. The institutional investor, we have institutional investors from Switzerland, Germany, the Netherlands, France and probably soon England as well, they obviously have different motivations to invest in our platform. There, the, the sizes of investments range between, if it's a smaller institution, around 3 million up to 20 million for the typical institutional investor. Okay. And can you perhaps be a little bit more precise? What is the percentage of retail investors to institutional investors? Yeah, so volume-wise, so when you look at volume deployed, The institutional investors deployed around 40% of the transacted volume and the retailers actually still make up 60% of the transacted volume. And that's, I know, as compared to Germany, pretty unique. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Okay. And could you perhaps briefly describe your investment process? So what, what, what does it mean for me as a retail investor to, to enter your marketplace? How does it work? Yeah, you, you can, for example, for German investors, you can open a Swiss bank account with one of our partners, PostFinance, pretty easily, even if you reside in Germany. You, like Y-U-H is the brand, there you can open every German citizen in, or in citizen living in Germany can open a bank account in Switzerland. It's pretty modern again. It hasn't been around for quite a few years. It's free. And then you can start investing. Once you have that IBAN, in Switzerland, you can actually start investing on our site. So basically, you register as a lender on our site. You, we do all the KYC checks. 
because we are a regulated financial intermediary. We have to do that. And once we've approved all your KYC checks and we see that you have an IBAN number here in Switzerland, then the money can flow out and in through our platform onto your account, basically. And you can invest in various ways. Either you invest so you can decide, okay, I want to be the banker and I want to decide where my money goes. You can decide how much money you want to invest into which loan. Or do you want to invest into private individuals? Do you want to invest in SMEs or do you want to lend mortgages? That's really all up to you. And you can also decide how much you want to invest in what terms and what maturities. So that's all. That's the, that's probably the more manual way. Then obviously we also have a robo-invest functionality, which is pretty straightforward. You set your criteria. The criteria can be with regards to risk, can be with regards to individual sizes of the loans, can be with regard of maturities of the loans that you're investing. And then obviously we also have institutional buckets. There's an institutional fund, which is not our fund, third-party provider built a fund such as such as the other ones that are on the platform so that you can actually, as a fund, as an individual, for example, in Germany, you could decide you want to invest into the fund rather than, rather than on the platform. You have some additional fees, but obviously you have a regulated, stronger regulation in the fund. It's an alternative investment fund. And there basically, that's the third way that you can invest. But I personally, I like, but it's easy for me to say I spend most of my days in front of the platform so I can see what comes on the platform and then I can decide which ones I want to invest in. I, I, unlike in investment banking where we issued products, here this is a product that I myself enjoy a lot and I'm a freaking investor on them myself. I haven't gotten it yet with this fund. This is a fund linked to you? You set up the fund or this is a fund not linked to you? But the third part is so it's because we are only a regulated financial intermediary. We do not have an asset management license. So it's a third party asset manager that built the fund basically and the fund invests on our platform. So you can buy the fund. You don't have to deal with the payments. You don't have to deal with the individual selection of risks. It's basically just a private debt fund that is available to, it's not for private investors, it's available to professional investors. Or what do you call them? Qualified investors. That's the term. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yes, you offer a lot of investment choices, a lot of different ways to invest in your, in your over your marketplace. Yes, very interesting and quite modern, I would say. This is exactly the way many other marketplaces try to go down. So you are really at the head of this, I would say. And and I've seen on your on your on your website that, that you also offer some kind of secondary market. This is very interesting because we have this secondary market, some kind of bulletin board, also as part of the crowdfunding service provider regulation. But due to the requirements in uh, in the in the method, it is not more than a bulletin board, yeah, like a blackboard where you can where you can say, "I would like to sell my loans," and then there comes by a third party and uh, who is interested and takes this information, and that's it. There isn't any deal closed or anything like this which would fall into scope of method. 
at European level. And against this backdrop, it is very interesting to read that you offer a secondary market. Could you please elaborate a little bit more on this? What is it? First of all, I think it's really important to let, you know, everyone should know that uh, lending is, as the word says, it's a very illiquid business. Even if you provide a secondary market, that doesn't mean it's a, it's far from an organized trading platform, right? It's far from an exchange. So it's not like you can you know, put a price and then someone, you know, in the market will come and buy it. What we see more is that if we have, and that can happen, if we have demand for liquidity or if we have supply of liquidity, then we can talk individually and we say, okay, we can assign the loans to someone else. So in our secondary mar market, as of now, it's not even a bulletin board. It's more like an OTC market where basically someone says, ah, for whatever reason, I have liquidity needs. I need my portfolio is 100,000 Swiss francs. Can I sell 50,000 of my portfolio? And then obviously the first condition is only loans that have never been paid late that are basically performing can go into a potential secondary market. And then we don't, we don't earn any spread out of the second market, secondary market transaction. So rather than a secondary market, it's really, I have a liquidity need. Lend, can you find me someone who has liquidity supply? And that's been balanced quite nicely in the past. We've had situations where we onboarded new lenders. And then obviously on a forward flow basis, as we usually transact alone, maybe you don't find enough, maybe you don't find enough su supply of loans that you can quickly fill your demand. So we can then also proactively seek ex existing investors and say, hey, can you, can you sell parts of your portfolio? And that's worked quite well in the past. And we're very well aware of the regulation. We, as I said, we're far away from, we're not anywhere near a, a, an organized trading platform. And we have to, there's two restrictions. One, one is, yes, lending is in itself very illiquid. And the second is regulation. We don't, we are not, we don't want to fall into all securities exchange laws. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Hence the, the contract between the parties is concluded, not on the marketplace, right? It is concluded outside of the marketplace between the seller and the buyer, correct? So basically it's really more of an assignment, like, because You would say, okay, you held that claim. We sell claims on loans to our investors. We don't actually, as a lender, you don't actually transact the loan. So the claim just gets assigned to a different investor. That's how it works. Yeah. So you're basically exiting the claim. Yeah. So, but the contract between the two parties, the assignment contract, is concluded outside of the marketplace, right? Yes. The marketplace yes, offers the opportunity to learn more about the, the offer, right? Yes, so the marketplace doesn't, there's no real marketplace on our platform. Yeah. So it's really lend transacts the loan with the borrower and you as an investor, you buy the individual claim, the partial claim on the loan. Now that claim can be assigned to can be assigned to a different party. That's basically how the secondary marketing works. Okay. Thank you. Very interesting. And I think the ecosystem is pretty keen to learn in the European Union ecosystem is pretty keen to learn how this bulletin board invented by the European Commission will work by the end of the day.
how appealing it might be for 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 investors and uh, sellers. Okay, um, let's let's look a little bit deeper into into credit risk assessment. How do you exactly ensure that high quality loans and investments are offered to your invest investors? What do you do about this? So and that's a very good point. I think that's probably one of the, if not the most important point of the whole exercise. Since the beginning, we said if lenders don't make a good, a decent, stable return on our platform, then our platform serves no purpose. Which is when you go onto our statistics site, we are quite transparent when it comes to default rates. We're quite transparent when it comes to volumes and returns. You can check that all on our statistics sites and you will see that out of a demand, so the application volume is actually close to 3 billion since we started and we only paid out 300 million. So we are actually very risky. So it's only every 10th, every 10th, like every 10th application actually gets funded in the end. So we're really restrictive when it comes to lending because lending money is easy, but getting the money back is the hard part, right? And so I think one is really just the awareness that there's only so much good credit risk about in the market. And particularly if you're starting up, we, we knew that. If you come as a new player into a market that's been around for a while, a lot of people who have been rejected, the traditional players will come to you and try to get money from you. So initially it was probably actually even worse. Like the application to the actual funding rate was probably something like one to 25. Now we have existing clients that come back and refinance again, and we know the credit history. So we feel more comfortable lending them money, but generally we're super restrictive. And because of that, we, we managed to continuously show a positive return. Our platform is all of our return and default numbers are verified by two independent third-party rating agencies. One is Loan Clear and one is Exalone. So they provide the reports and they actually provide the return figures. On average, even in the low interest rate environment, we, after defaults, generated around 4.5% of return every year, stably. So what do we do actually to assess the risk? So from consumer loans, we have a lot of data. Every month, we have about 1,500 applications that come in and most of them are actually we have the full look through at the applications so we know how, where they live, how old they are, how long they've been employed, what their family status is and so on. And with more data after seven years now, we managed to build a machine learning model that is really quite accurate when it comes to predicting defaults. The way it's done, machine learning, so you build the model and you test it with an out-of-sample yeah, out data set. So you use the model to learn the last, the first five years, and then you predict that the other two that you know the results, but the model doesn't. And there actually the prediction was very accurate. So soon we'll be actually able to assess credit risk instant, almost instantaneously. It's not yet fully instant because there's also some regulatory parts that don't allow you to do credit decisioning. But yeah, so we have a very modern machine learning model there that's already in place and that's working nicely. And that's why the default rates are so low in our consumer loan business. In the, in the SME business, we view it very differently. SME businesses, also because the loan sizes are a lot bigger, there's more than just numbers, right? The numbers are a small part. But a typical SME <coughs> entrepreneur 
has a lot of e-lending, has a lot of risks uh, other than just financial figures. We still speak to the entrepreneurs when it, the loan amount is more than 200 grand. <clears throat> and we spend a lot of time understanding the business more closely. And that's why the defaults are very low there as well. And that's why the entrepreneurs are very happy and they come back to us. So a lot of the SME business is actually also recurring business with existing clients and review the risks there is very limited. So there it's more, <clears throat> there it's more people business than SME. So we have very seasoned professionals that have been working in the industry for more than 20 years. Okay. One additional question on the rejection rate you mentioned. Every nine out of 10 applications are rejected. And is it true for consumer loans and SME loans? Or what is the difference? I just want, want to learn more about the specificities of both yeah. classes. Yeah, so it's actually not entirely true. It's not nine out of 10 are rejected. Probably five out of 10 that get rejected. Then there's probably three that would say, okay, the, I imagined our APR rate to be more favorable for me. So it doesn't really move the needle that much if I move from the bank to you. And then there's maybe one that says, okay, I've lost interest. I covered my interest from funding from my family or close relative whatsoever. So it's re the rejection rate is about 50 to 60. The active rejection rate is about 50 to 60%. The other 30% are the ones that lose interest or have found other, other sources of funding. And with the SMEs, it's actually quite similar. So We try to filter out clearly in the application process. We, if you're an SME that's only been around for, say, two years and you do not have annual results for the last two years, then we will not lend you money. Also, if you don't provide collateral in form of either property or a guarantee, we will not lend you money. And then the, from, the from the funnel, when you look at the funnel, from the very first that actually apply to the few that actually get paid out, it's a very similar figure. It's probably also, yeah, it's, it is also around 80 to 90 percent that do not get funding from us because it just the risks are just too high still. Okay, thank you. Okay, and thank you for making this clearer. Um, an additional question on credit worthiness assessment. Currently, we have this challenges with the energy crisis, inflation, things like this. We all know what's going on and how are you guys coping with it when it comes to the assessment? So our typical, it's a very good question. When you look at our portfolio, we, like I said, we're not the typical first time lender. So if your budget is stretched and you cannot buy a flat screen TV, we will not be the one lending you money. But if you've, for example, improved your house and you needed a loan somewhere else, and you can show that you've paid that loan and your budget is really quite flexible, then we are the right place. Generally, our borrowers have a lot less stretched budgets than the budget from banks. We know that because historically we've also been sending some of our rejected volume to banks and they have funded it. So we know we are more careful. And when you look at our portfolio, so you know the one, one really important figure is the debt to income ratio for private individuals. And there we are quite conservative. So Even if you have a scenario as now where inflation goes up and in Switzerland, inflation has been a lot more limited than, for example, in Germany, a high inflation rate here was 3.4% rather than the 10% in Germany. So yes, there is inflation. We are well aware that this will stretch budgets, but compared to, our, compared to our competitors, we are more careful. 
And so far, we haven't seen any spike in default rates because of higher inflation numbers. And we actually expect that not to change. But that brings me to my next questions. What, what can you tell us specifically about default rates and distressed loans? Do you have any numbers? Yes, of course. That's like I said, that's where it really gets interesting, right? So of, of course, when you lend money, you have defaults. It's only natural. You have default rates. Yes, absolutely. Compared to the market, as an insight, you can, we show all default rates on our statistics page. When you scroll down, you will see the vintage graphs. So depending on the vintage, our annual default rate is between 0.2 and 0.7% per annum. So it's very low. When you compare that to the five or even now it's much higher, um, but the historical, say, 5.5% interest rate that you would get on your loans, you deduct in a bad year, the 0.7, you still, after fees, you still get around 4 to 4.5%. Now it's probably soon going to be more likely 55 to 6.5%. So default rates are very, yeah, so far, even on all the vintages, default rates are really low. And after defaults, it still makes sense um, from a risk return perspective. Okay. Um, and how exactly do you manage defaults? What happens with the claims when it comes to defaults? We go all the way. We don't, we have our own team that basically does all the litigations. We know from some borrowers that have actually moved back to Germany that in Germany the setup is really different. So what basically how we do it is we remind the borrowers of their payment. And if after 45 days we still don't get the payment, then we send a Betreibung. That's basically a litigation that says, okay, you're now forced to pay. Um, and most of the people then pay instantaneously, right? They pay instantly. They say, uh, because then you get basically registered in the central registry that will make it very difficult for you in Switzerland to, let's say, move into a new house, right? Because the landlord, the first thing they will ask is your Betreibungsauszug. And if they see that there's something open, then you will not get the flat. And that's why, that's why most of the people, if you even only threaten to do a Betreibung, they will do everything to pay, to pay the open outstanding amount. Yeah, when and when they still cannot pay, right? You always have to differentiate between people who cannot pay or don't want to pay. So there's obviously also people who say they've lost their jobs or for whatever reason they are unable to pay. Then either, like in the case, if they've lost the jobs, then usually the PPI insurance kicks in. If they have a PPI insurance, that's what it's there for. And if they cannot, then yeah, we look for an agreement with them. And that's the thing to say in Switzerland. If, as long as you are part of the society, As long as you still have a normal job, it may take may take some time in a distressed loan to get your money back. But actually, most of the cases, you will cover it at 100%. It may just take longer than you think. And for cases that obviously disappear to, <clears throat> we've had some people that emigrated to Brazil or to Pakistan. And it's, you have to be honest, you will not get your money back. That's just how it is. But yes. Obviously, that's a really tiny fraction of our clientele. And we also have learned ropes. So we kind of <laughs> try to assess, is there a risk that someone is leaving? If someone is leaving Switzerland, then the risk that someone leaving Switzerland is higher than, obviously, the interest rate is also higher. 
Oh, okay. And what can you tell us about the handling of the portfolio in case of insolvency of land? What happens with claims? How would this be managed? Yes. Yeah. So we have an agreement with a backup servicer. We have, you uh, know, it's one of our competitors that basically we agreed that they will take over our handling of our loan portfolio and vice versa. But actually, the actual, the actual handling of the loans is very cash positive for the company. So because we take our fee whenever the payment comes from the borrower and we deduct our fee before we send the payment on to the lender. So if it will come to a default of Switzerland AG, that's the name of the company. So Switzerland, not Switzerland. Then actually an administrator would decide, hey, this is a profit-making business. So it would actually be it would actually be nonsense to to turn it off, right? So in that sense, we yes, I've seen it firsthand when I was an analyst at the beginning with Swiss Air, the businesses that make money, any administrator will keep them running. So most likely what will happen is that we will not transact any new loans. Yes, the transacting of the actual portfolio will still continue. Okay. Yeah, Florian, thank you very much for this journey on your on your platform. That was really very interesting to hear from you from you firsthand how this marketplace works. And it brings me to my very last question. It's a tradition, the crystal ball question. What's up with the future landscape of digital lending in Europe from your point of view? It's a really good question and I'm happy it comes this late because I hope a lot of people will still be here listening to the podcast. In my view, that's a really interesting one because I think since the demise of Credit Suisse and, and lenders such as SVB in the States, it's become even more clearer that balance sheet lending as a business model is facing serious challenges. It is probably not, uh, in today's environment, it's, it, things need to be adjusted. And digital lending will, will help everyone, most of all the taxpayer, um, to eliminate risks such as the ones that we in Switzerland now are facing with the fault of Credit Suisse. It, I don't know about in Germany, but in Switzerland, the, the atmosphere against too big to fail banks not only in 2008, but even now, it's not something that people are very keen to do. Like, why should I as a taxpayer save a business like a not-to-fail bank? So in the case of digital lending, when you can, di when you can directly transact, that will eliminate by the business model all too big to failure aspects. And I think that is the future. Oh, great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I to 100% share your view. So thank you very much, Florian, for your time. Thank you very much for this opportunity and for the interesting questions. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this episode as well. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast and follow us on LinkedIn so that we you will never miss our podcast. Furthermore, please note November 23rd, then the second Digital Lending Summit in Frankfurt in Germany takes place. This is where investors get connected with fintech lenders. It's a huni conference in Europe. More information on digitallenders.eu. Stay safe and sound and see you soon.